Welcome to Matter of Principles, a podcast from the Association of Washington School Principals. We've got some original podcasts in our feed. The podcast you're about to hear is the audio from an episode of AWSP TV, our talk show for principals. Make sure to tune in to our live episodes and catch all of our shows by subscribing to our YouTube channel. In the meantime, enjoy the audio from this episode of AWSP TV. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, I'm really glad to have some special guests here today to talk about an important topic. As many of you know, recently our school discipline laws had some significant changes made to them. And so our partners here um, are going to share some perspective on how to react to these changes. And from AWSP's perspective, I'll be sharing some things with you as well. My name is Kurt Hatch. I'm one of the associate directors here at AWSP. And um, I'm going to turn um, it over right now to Dana Anderson, um, who's going to be our moderator today. And we'll do some introductions too, so you know who's involved in the video. And we hope this is helpful for you at all different levels of your school system. So thanks, Dana, for being here. Great, Kurt. Thank you so very much. Yeah, you're welcome. And thanks to our guests for joining us today. As you mentioned, this is a very important topic, and we want to provide some supports to mm -hmm. our school districts and our staff around the state. So uh, my name is Dana Anderson. I'm superintendent, Capital Region ESD 113. It's my pleasure to serve as moderator here today. And joining with me are my friends and colleagues from around the state. And we'll start just right to my right. Hello, my name is Kim Fry. I'm the superintendent of Rochester School District, and I'm representing WASA today, Washington right. Association of School Administrators. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Kim. I'm Abigail Westbrook. I'm the director of policy and legal services for WASDA, the Washington State School Directors Association. Great, Abigail, thank you. And Kurt as well, thanks, thanks. for joining us. Yeah. So uh, you're gonna get great perspective across the system today. We're gonna start with an overview of policy from the school director's perspective. Dig into that a little bit from implementation side on the district piece and then look at uh, what the implications are for our principals across the state and hopefully uh, have a little bit of interplay back and forth as mm -hmm. we go. Yeah. So Abigail, we're gonna actually start with you. So congratulations, you're first off. <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Uh, you know, you've been doing a lot of work in preparation for this. I know last year, some model policy and some policies have come out now. So tell us a little bit about what you think are the three topic, top issues uh, districts should be paying attention to as they, they look at the policies. Thank you, yes. It, it's, uh, it's important to get this message out. So mm -hmm. that the three most important things to know is that there's a new model policy for student discipline, mm -hmm. new model policy and procedure. It's required, it's all new, and it needs your attention. And by you, I mean school boards and the, the school board superintendent team and the community. Okay, so those three big things that are really important. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, there's new stuff out there, it's required, you better be paying attention. That's, <laughs> right. that's the main focus. Right, right. right so, Tell us a little bit more about the maybe the required part of this. Sure. So it is required by law. We've changed the categorization. It's now essential. Mm -hmm. uh, both the statute and the WACs require this policy, and not just a policy, but one that has several specific components. So I want people to know that, surely, you've had a student discipline policy previously, but you want to make sure that you have one that's compliant for the WACs today. And the model policy has all those boxes checked. It will get you in good shape. Okay, great. Are there aspects of the previous policy they really need to be focusing in on in terms of uh, replacing what's been uh, already adopted? Thank you, that's a good question because as we looked at this, uh, we had to retire another policy uh, and that's formally 3240. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and that policy talked about sanctions. And although that was helpful for districts to know, hey, what, what are some guidelines for sanctions? It doesn't fit into the current legal framework where you have a policy setting out your exclusionary sanctions for a student as opposed to approaching it on an individualized basis. So that one's now retired. Okay. So there's uh, existing policy they need to look at and uh, who, you said required. It, How's this going to get monitored, or who's going to check to see that school districts have actually done the work? Really important question. OSPI, as, as you know, they do the consolidated policy review, uh, and I know that one of the things they're looking at in particular are districts' discipline policies. So looking to see if it is up to date and has some of the specific new components included. So since OSPI has the rulemaking authority here, they're going to be looking to see that districts have actually done the work in terms of policy adoption. Exactly, okay. yes. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So let's dig into that policy just a little bit. I know some of the rules that originated with this whole concept that we've had disproportionality in discipline outcomes. So talk a little bit about how the policy and the law maybe reflect that uh, focus on disproportionality. Thank you, that's so important. You know, HB 1541 was really all about to address disproportionality. And in this newest policy, it, it's not just a, a small revisions and track changes. It's all new. It keeps the same number, but uh, it has new components. It is meant to reflect that fresh tone of, of what discipline means today. Hmm. Discipline. So yeah. there's something that we need to be able to define. I, I knew it when I experienced it, but I'm not <laughs> sure it was something that was defined well for me. So I know it's a part of what uh, is expected. So talk about the, de the definitions that districts need to look at, and maybe particularly discipline. Yes, it's a great example. The, the new procedure, the model procedure, includes a lot of the definitions from the WAC. Mm -hmm. And a great example of an important new term is discipline itself. So discipline is defined as any response to a behavioral circumstance. I'm not, I didn't quite get the words there, but you get the idea. Yeah. And the notion being that discipline no longer means punitive necessarily. It can be any response. It can be a supportive response. And uh, while districts have the, they can use exclusionary discipline when they need to for safety, that's not the first go-to. The first go-to is to think of other forms of discipline, which are the, those more supportive means, such as maybe teaching social-emotional skills. Mm -hmm. So, oh, That's great. Yeah. Uh, so discipline has multiple dimensions, and mm -hmm. the, the responses open to districts are a lot broader, perhaps, sometimes than we think of mm -hmm. in terms of how we implement those procedures. Um, so you mentioned in terms of guidance that it's important for districts to pay attention to this and that it's something that they should be really focusing in on. You want to unpack that just a little bit more? You bet. Uh, that was item number three, it needs your attention. So uh, one, I want, I want folks to know that the, the model policy, while it has all the components you need, it also needs that individualized attention from districts. districts. There are areas where they will need to customize the, their policy. So, for example, they are required to set forth in their policy what kinds of uh, alternative educational uh, services they will provide for a student who is experiencing exclusionary discipline mm -hmm. and, and list that out in policy. Uh, another notion is we talked a moment ago about other forms of discipline. 
and the policy itself needs to unpack that a little bit about what is, as, as a district, what are they committing to do and to use as other forms of discipline other than exclusion. So these are some areas that really need district attention. And, and the other part of that that's so significant is that the whole statute really put a big emphasis on family and community involvement. Mm. So it's, it's, not a, uh, it's, it's not something that the board just does on its own. It's something where they ask for input from the community, receive that input, and then you take good data and uh, it'll come back again. It's not one and done. It's here's your, here's your policy that, that you've developed with community input, and then based on data, here are the revisions that you make to keep it really a partnership with your community. Nice. So like all good policy adoption, it's not just here's the po model policy adopted as written, just change the color of the background here for these highlighted areas, but focus on what to customize. And it's not a one undone thing. It's something you need to really be paying attention to and working on in a kind of constant review process. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, as mentioned about that data, also I think there's a, an important place here for boards and superintendents to think about getting quality data from their teachers. We all know how busy teachers are, but one of the goals here is to be tracking classroom exclusions and why and who, and then monitoring that data and using it to get better. Nice, okay, yeah. very good. So where do districts go to find this model policy and some of the resources available from the school directors? You will find it on the WASDA website mm -hmm. and uh, look under featured policies. So first, our website has, has lots of portions, as many websites do. So get to the WASDA website and then under policy and legal, look for featured policies and you'll find this. It's 3241 student discipline. Another policy that's there is 3220, uh, student rights and responsibilities. Now that one's not a required policy, but there's some important information in there that we think will help districts as well, and that's also on the website. Great, thanks so much. Yeah. So the three key points again, what do we want districts to know? All right, uh, number one, it's required. Uh, number two, it's all new. Uh -huh. And number three, it needs your attention. Okay, very good, mm -hmm. thank you so very much. So from the supports from the School Directors Association and resources available to them, let's pivot to a, a district leader who's right. looking at implementing this work. So Kim, talk about some of the steps that maybe you've gone through or that you'd think school district leaders should think about uh, as they're preparing to implement these policies and procedures. Thanks, Dana. There are, there are numerous. Yeah, numerous a lot of steps. steps. Yeah. As Abigail has already talked about, getting that policy and those procedures in place is paramount. Yeah. And that will require um, some education for your board mm -hmm. and it will require community input. Okay. And so getting that scheduled and the number of readings that you have to go through, um, making sure you have a lot of attention to your timelines to ensure that this policy is in place um, to meet that July 1st deadline is very important. July 1, so if you're backward planning from there, you better be on it right away. Then. Right now, now <laughs> okay. is the time. Now's the time, now's don't, the time. don't sit and wait. So that is a, a primary um, step in the process. Uh -huh. um, other steps are not, it's not just the board and the community that needs professional development on yeah. what are these changes to the law, but everybody in our system. So our teachers, our principals, our support staff all need to know. I think not only what are the legal changes, but what's the research behind those changes? Mm -hmm. Because once people understand that 
these changes are really rooted in strong research around equity mm -hmm. and around what really changes students' behavior. Mm -hmm. um, people feel much better. You know, easier to accept those changes when you understand they're, they're really based on the firm foundation of, of good research. So you're looking at something, this could be a compliance activity, right? I mean, uh, we've, we're supposed to adopt a policy, we've adopted a policy. You know, we're supposed to have certain procedures in place, we have them in place. So you're really talking about getting to the heart of the change and trying to make it more beyond compliance. So are some thoughts on how to move oh, that needle a little bit? <laughs> absolutely. I see this as just an amazing opportunity for us. Yeah. We can um, be frustrated by top-down um, changes, but we can also look at this as just an amazing opportunity for us to really fundamentally change our practice mm -hmm. and do it in a way that the outcomes eventually for kids are higher graduation rates and graduating students who not only have the academic skills they need for success, but the social emotional learning skills that they need for success. I've had the pleasure of working beside you and watch you work for a number of years. I know you're a systems thinker, so talk a little bit about the systems capacity building you would do both at the internal level and maybe at the external level uh, within your systems. So I, you know, we talked about <coughs> the compliance work. Mm -hmm. So um, making sure that everybody understands what, what are the required changes, making sure that um, handbooks and discipline letters and all of those things reflect these changes. Mm. Um, but beyond that, it really is helping people to understand this work. And so um, getting some foundational professional development is important. I know many districts have already started this work, but understanding cultural competency, mm. um, helping people to understand classroom um, informed practices, um, the ACEs work, adverse childhood experience, all of those things, um, a good foundation those will go a long way in helping us get our systems ready to make these um, not just surface level changes, but second order changes. Yeah, I was at a county superintendent's meeting with you recently and when the teams were sharing out some of the strategies and the work that they've been doing in the background to get ready for this, I heard a lot of the systems that uh, people have been working on, multi-tiered systems of support, positive behavior interventions, uh, um, adverse childhood experiences, trauma-informed care, it, it really brings a lot of those things together, doesn't it, and gives a, a focused place. And talk a little bit about how your teams have thought about that, perhaps, and how you're bringing that background work into this context. I think it's important as educational leaders to always help people connect the dots. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people don't see the connection between that past work we've done in all those areas and this new law. And so helping people to really understand how it all fits together is going to be of primary importance to this. I think other ways that we can help people understand that this work is, um, as Abigail talked about, really putting the data in front of people. Mm -hmm helping people understand where are we now? Where is our disproportionality in our discipline, mm -hmm. um, in our individual schools, in, across our districts, across the state? And then as we implement this work, how, how's that changing? Sharing those success stories with people, I think, is, is one way that will really help. Um, I think another thing that we can do is um, to understand the changes to classroom management, dis disciplinary procedures within the classroom is something that people really feel personally invested in. Yeah, that's my classroom, my practice. Right? Absolutely, yeah. and I think we have to be sensitive to that mm -hmm. and provide opportunities for people to talk about that 
and how these changes make them feel. Yeah. Um, and what their struggles are with it, with these changes. Right. Um, provide a space for that. Make that to be okay. Regular part of what obstacles are we facing and how can we t overcome them together. Yeah. Um, Abigail also talked about the need to customize those policies and procedures, providing um, opportunities for as many people to have a voice in that process as, as possible will be really important. Um, so when we're looking at what are those other forms of discipline, we need input from our staff. What are appropriate other forms of discipline for students at various age levels? Hmm. Could look very different for what's an other form of discipline for a kindergartner, for example, than a high school student. Yeah, that's good. I'm smiling because I'm thinking about how connect the dots is one of your primary things. It's a pillar of what you do as a leader. It's like I'm helping you make the connections between what's gone on in the past, the work that we've been focusing on, and how this new opportunity connects to that. So that's that's great to see it in practice. Yeah. Um, the other thing I think it's really important for the whole system is for us to understand what is our why for this work? Hmm. Um, and it's part of that connecting the dots. What does this have to do with our our mission as a school district, our core values, mm -hmm. our strategic plan. Mm -hmm. How does this fit with that? And when we can help people to understand how those things are connected, it too will help us um, make this transition more smoothly. Nice, thanks Kim. So we've heard from the policy layer, mm -hmm. from the school directors association, from the systems layer of a district, from a district leader. Mm -hmm. So Kurt, principal time. So yeah. talk a little bit about the role of principals and how principals, assistance principals, how they can you know actually leverage these new laws to you know demonstrate leadership that yeah. they'd like to see happening in their schools. Yeah, I, I think one of the things, um, and I might just be underscoring some of the points that Kim already made, is just remembering the intent of the changes or the why, mm -hmm. uh, and and couple that with your why of your school, your own practice, um, and really the why, as I understand it, is to. Um, keep kids in school as long as possible um, and not use exclusion um, as a tool a as we've done in the past and it's been um, shown that it's has some overuse and some um, inconsistency in its use and so just to examine that a little bit and to find it uh, in terms of what is discipline versus what is punishment. Mm. And there's, there's just a vast difference between the two. And I think, that, um, I think that they've been confused or conflated a bit. Mm -hmm. um, and punishment being used as a teaching tool um, when it's really not an effective tool. Um, so for systems to examine, are we doing things that really fall under the umbrella of punishment versus discipline can be a very powerful conversation to have and it can also help tie uh, into our core values as a system um, and examine if our practices reflect core values such as the classroom being the best place for all students and so are we doing things that help keep them there and point them back into that direction even if they need it to be removed for, for a certain period of time for some discipline which is teaching yeah. versus punishment. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Kurt, one of the things that always impressed me about the way you think is that you think about the cultural change of a school. You're saying we're, we're not just doing things just because we're trying to do something that we have to comply with. We're really trying to change the culture in classrooms and across the school system. Mm -hmm. and, and you talked about systems too. So if we're going to have an effective system, it has to be built in a structure yeah. like multi-tiered system of mm -hmm. support. So 
maybe share a little bit about your perspective on that and the role of principals as leading sure. that effort. Yeah, I think it is, and again, as Kim said, this is a real opportunity for us to shift how we essentially do school mm -hmm. and to look at um, different systems of being proactive and preventative and multi-tiered systems of support or MTSS has proven to be extremely effective as a model for how to do school, but it takes some um, deep change, second order change, um, to really shift the systems and how we interact and how adults communicate together around problem solving. But MTSS provides a really excellent framework for that. And so we've all seen the, the, the pyramid. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, to simplify MTSS is essentially, there's the academic side or RTI, um, but then there's also the, the behavior side. And so to integrate those two systems together with really effective communication, um, very effective data collection methods um, to examine behavior. So for example, if there's um, a school that has um, a data collection system that doesn't give them very much information about what behavior is occurring and where, and they're trying to kind of track down the motivations for behavior and what kids were doing during the time of the behavior, like what the activity was, were they reading, math, et cetera. It's very difficult to make proactive decisions and create systems of support that anticipate behaviors. Um, so uh, things like uh, the school-wide information system, or it's all called SWIS, and it's fairly well known. Um, that is an excellent data gathering tool. Um, and there's simple methods to even just track time in class and time out of class. So Susan Barrett, who provides a lot of great technical assistance around PBIS, has a really simple um, data collection tool that allows people to examine how long are kids out of class based on certain discipline incidences, um, including the time that it takes them to go from the classroom down to the office, if the system includes kids being sent to the office versus an adult going to the classroom. Because that can make a difference in literally days of instruction being recaptured by cer certain tweaks of systems like that. Um, so having those data gathering tools is kind of a foundational layer to be able to make good decisions th through an MTSS frame. Um, so, yeah. yeah. That's really helpful. I think one of the things that gets me thinking about what you shared earlier is that it's not about punishment. Uh, that's mm -hmm. you know, we're trying to impose a system that has structure, that has a systemic approach, that uses data, that engages people in active problem solving and creating a cultural change around this yeah. is how we do things here. And part of what I've heard you talk about is that it's not always about discipline and punishment, that there's other sides of the system to be looking at and mm -hmm. what we're seeking to do is change behavior. So you know, talk about the positive side of things yeah. and how people might really incentivize the kind of behaviors we'd hope to see. Yeah, well, what we know about behavior and attempts to modify behavior is that kids and adults respond when there's positive interventions. When they're working towards getting something and behavior expectations are made perfectly clear, um, there's consistency in expectations, there's predictability with expectations. So if I go in one, you know, schools have these different ecologies from one place to another, and the, uh, the consistency between behavior expectations of how you move in that space or what it looks and sounds like to um, have pro-social behaviors in those different environments, um, the more consistent they are for students, 
um, that just increases their likelihood dramatically that they will exhibit the pro-social behaviors that we're essentially trying to teach them. Um, which, you know, makes me think of the work from Kent McIntosh and Steve Goodman who continue to remind us that student behavior is really a byproduct of the adult behavior and the mm. environment that we create for them. So, so much of this work around PBIS and MTSS is shifting adult behavior. So it complies with uh, how behavior works um, and taking a teaching and learning stance with behavior. Um, I, I can't remember who said it, but someone was talking about if kids don't know how to read, we teach them how to read. If they don't know how to do math, we teach them. If they don't know how to write, we teach them. But if they're not behaving well, we, we exclude them, them yeah. or we punish them. And so it, it's just a reminder to take a teaching and learning stance with behavior almost more intentionally than we do with academics because um, I believe that behavior is one of the most complex things that we teach in schools. I think it's the most challenging thing that we teach because it's emotional, um, there's triggers that cause people to change their behavior and we don't see that necessarily with math. You know, if two plus two is four, we kind of know that. And kids don't go to environments outside of school where they're learning two plus two isn't four. Mm. But that happens with behavior, so it's quite challenging. It can be emotional for the adults, it can trigger adult behavior if there's really unexpected behavior in, in classrooms. So I think we have to give ourselves and as school leaders, our staff, a sense of grace and understanding that this is really difficult. But the good news is, is there's a science to it. There's a science to modifying behavior and changing it. There's a right way of doing it. There's a best way of doing it. And we just have to take time to learn those best ways uh, and implement them into our practice. Um, I also think it's um, teaching behaviors, well, it's different than classroom management. We've all had classroom management classes as we were learning to be teachers and et cetera. Uh, but I don't remember taking a behavior mod class or understanding being taught what the function of behaviors and how to um, change behavior in ways that are proven. Um, but that information is out there. It's readily available through things like PBIS.org. Um, there's experts out in the field. Kelsey Schmidt's out in the Smart Center. We've got folks at OSPI, Josh Lynch, that can help. Um, the Center for Improvement of Student Learning, Andrea Cobb and Mark McKechnie. They're all experts in the field and they can help answer some of these questions and take a systemic view, systematic view, of how to teach systems that work and also help people understand how behavior functions and so we can treat it in ways that are effective and modify maladaptive behaviors and turn them into pro-social behaviors. That's fantastic. I, I just see a whole systems integration piece, mm -hmm. you know, from the policy layer to the leader la layer to cultural change inside of a school setting, implementation of systems, but really um, focusing on building capacity across the system so that we can respond more appropriately to the needs that are presenting um, yeah. from young people we're serving. Mm -hmm. I know that we're not doing a fact or fiction um, segment here, but mm -hmm. there is concern, I think, in the field when folks look at the policies that have been uh, recommended or the way that the WAC rules are written, that uh, you're gonna take away one of the primary tools that I have mm -hmm. for these tier three kids who are really you know, blowing up in the classroom. So. Talk a little bit about how folks can respond appropriately to tier three needs um, when they present. 
Yeah, there's a balance because the behaviors are happening right now and we want to have them extinguished and there's, there's systems that work, there's behavior plans that are very effective and um, you know we have resources for that or I can point people towards them. Um, so if folks want to email or call, um, I can help support that. Um, and so as we're trying to address the tier three behaviors, at the same time, it's really important to have a foundation of positive behavior intervention supports. Mm -hmm. um, and you can implement some, uh, you can have some interventions at the tier three level that will likely be impactful. But without the foundation of tier one PBIS, you'll be putting out way more fires than you actually have. Mm -hmm. um, so what PBIS does is it helps kind of calm down a building that allows students to comply in ways that you might be surprised because now they just know what the rules of the game are. They know what it looks and sounds like to move through different parts of a building. And if they are incentivized to do that, if they're taught and reminded and then re-incentivized, um, most, most of them will comply, which then allows you some more time to focus on the kids that are truly tier three. And so there's, again, there's systems for that. There's ways of interacting with students that have um, really challenging behaviors. But again, it's through a teaching and learning stance. It's through patience, consistency, predictability, all the adults being on the same um, team as far as how we address students. For example, if they're, if they're kind of blowing out in class, um, there's ways to talk to a student that's very effective so using fewer words than more words and even how you position your body when a student is having a tough time regulating their emotional state. There's best ways to do that. Um, and so we can help or we can point people in the right direction to put those systems in place and get the right professional learning um, to help staff feel more comfortable about it and know that there's steps of support that are already in place that they can access um, and a quote that I really like um, around, because we'll, we will get calls and say, we, we have kids that are just really difficult, uh, having really difficult behaviors, what do we do? And one of the first questions is, how's PBIS going? Um, because, and I think it was Kelsey Schmidt over at the Smart Center at UW said, we can't intervene our way out of a crummy core. <laughs> so that core is important, it's critical to be working on those same things um, at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. So I'm thinking about the layers of the system and maybe some of our concluding uh, comments or uh, a little bit of a conversation might be sure. about, as a principal, what are some things you need from a superintendent or from district leadership? And maybe uh, as a superintendent, some things you need from the board or supports from your community. Um, so maybe a bit of a flow just around that. So you think about what supports do you need yeah. um, so that the uh, principal could be most successful in a school and how can the district support you in that way? Yeah, work? and based on my previous experience being in a building and from what I hear from colleagues, and, and I know we're all on the same page with these thoughts, um, but I've been in a number of settings where we were leading PBIS implementation and it was more effective in some uh, settings than in others. And the places that it was most effective in is when everybody was doing it. Mm. Um, top down, left, right. Um, so it was a district-wide initiative. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody was monitoring um, 
the fidelity of implementation, which is critical because there's no such thing as PBIS light. Either you're doing it all in or it's not going to have the results uh, that you want. And so bus drivers, food service, everybody was speaking the same language and utilizing the tools of PBIS and the incentives. And that was just really a product of, of an all-in approach with district leadership and the resources. Um, and the results were really astounding. We were capturing, recapturing hundreds of hours of instructional time. Um, at previous school, we no longer use suspensions. We just, we don't, we don't use them anymore. And it took some time. Mm -hmm. But without PBIS, we would not have been able to get to that spot. Yeah. Yeah. So a district-wide approach with executive sponsorship and an expectation that that's across the whole system. Kim, what are some things you think you need maybe from your position from principals and school leadership mm -hmm. and some things you might need from board or um, the governance side of things? I think from the principal side of it, one of the things we need is um, open dialogue mm -hmm. about um, where do we need to be really tight across our whole district? Where does the, the process that we're going to use the primary level, absolutely the same as it is at the elementary and the middle and the high school level, where are we going to be really tight? Mm -hmm. And where do we need to have some flexibility in our system? So having dialogue about that, yeah. talking regularly about what type of support our teachers need, district office folks need to hear that. We need to know what kind of support they're needing at the building levels, how we can best um, encourage this work and support this work. Yeah. Um, at the community level, board level, um, we need time. Yeah. And the understanding that this is a process, it's a journey that we are on. Yeah, yeah. We'll adopt that policy right away, but it's going to take a long time for us to um, fully embrace every nuance of this change in order for it to really have the impact we want it to have in the end, to keep more kids in school, have more kids in classrooms every day, learning what they need to be learning to be successful. Nice, very good. Abigail, what do you think are some of the things district leaders should be thinking about? Some final thoughts, I think, as we kind of draw this to a close. Well, you know, the board sets the tone, provides the leadership, mm -hmm. but they so need the, it's, this is all about the community here. The community in the big sense of parents and families, students, but also about their administrators, about those mm -hmm. school principals. And so part of that, as we talked about, collecting that good data, getting that back to the board, mm -hmm. that, that communication. I really liked what Kim said about time. Mm -hmm. uh, this is sea-changed legislation. Right. And, and so mm -hmm. it, it will take some time, but I also appreciate that we're, the time is now. Uh, so, so really getting all in on this and, and giving it, uh, not just saying, oh, we have to, but but um, here's the data, here's our new approach, and, and doing this in a comprehensive, holistic way. I think that's really the goal, and the pieces are there to do it, but it's time to roll up the sleeves and get at it right now. Nice, very yeah. good. Well, Kurt, mm -hmm. and yeah. this concludes our segment yeah. of the panel presentation around yeah. the discipline rules, but take us home. What are yeah. some final you know, thoughts? Uh, final thoughts, and, and maybe if if you have some other final thoughts in terms of resources that we'll make sure that we link or provide to people. And um, so I'm gonna make sure that I share those now so people know that it's, it's things that they can seek on our website or maybe as part of this production. But um, you know, so much about changing 
um, moving like from punishment to discipline and putting these systems is um, helping ch shift adult mindset around discipline. And so um, there's a, a great TED talk by Rosemary Allen around school suspensions. I'd recommend you checking that out. It's very powerful. Um, I've mentioned Kent McIntosh. We can point you in his direction for his resources around um, MTSS integration, so RTI and PBIS, and things like um, um, addressing implicit bias in discipline. Um, we know discipline has to do so much uh, about student-teacher relationships, so we have some resources on how you um, help with that and maybe monitor the impact of student-teacher relationships. And then I think, um, Kim, you had mentioned ACEs earlier around like in the trauma-informed world. Um, so there's some more great resources that we have um, that we can uh, point people in the direction of trauma-informed resources around classroom management practices or PBIS in the classroom. So, so don't be shy if you see if there's a topic that people want that's out there, even if it's not listed, um, we can dig it up and provide some technical support or just some advice. Yeah, so I don't know, Kim, if there's some things too that you want to make sure people get pointed to, or even just you know, you're in your system and things that you're doing. Or. I think some good resources include um, the results pyramid work. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great resource talking about how do we really change behavior, mm -hmm. and we have to give it people experiences. Mm -hmm. And so looking at that resource for how can we provide experiences for everyone in our system from community mm. to teachers to bus drivers um, lunchroom staff how can we give them experiences that will really help them in this um, transition yeah. i think another great resource is concerns based um, adoption mm. we look at mm. that work when people have concerns about issues how do we overcome those so they don't become obstacles oh. yeah. um, and really stymie the work but how do we get on in a in front of those things yeah. and, be, and be prepared um, that, that this is going to bring out some emotional response in yeah. people and that's okay. Yeah. It's part of the process and we just need to be prepared for that and, and provide a lot of opportunity for people to do um, take care of those concerns in a really healthy way yeah. because we all have the same, um, we share the same outcome yeah. from, from the community to the board to um, district administrators and principals and yeah. teachers and all of our support staff, we all want what's best for kids. We yeah. all want kids to leave our system with the skills they need for success. And that goes beyond academics. Mm -hmm. We need kids to have strong social emotional skills yeah. to be successful. Yeah, yeah and I'd point to, um, this is a change everyone's wrestling with. So mm -hmm. our entire state is looking at implementation. And so creating networks around common uh, practice. Mm -hmm. uh, I see it at county level meetings, superintendents having the conversation around how they're managing and leading the work. I see uh, them empowering uh, task force uh, work cross-district so they can do cross-district sharing. None of us are in this alone, and so uh, engaging in that, reaching out to your associations, principals, mm -hmm. central office administrators, school board members, yeah. uh, tapping into the networks of the regional service delivery system yeah. of the ESDs, and reaching out to our partners at OSPI. We're, we're, we're a shared system with shared resources, and sometimes we kind of get blinders on when we're implementing big change, and we just think, I have to do this, yeah. and pause for a moment and think, now how can I reach out? 
how could I tap into the resources around me? How could I learn from the work of others and um, really accelerate the change process? Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity yeah. here. Yeah, so rely on people you know, rely on your colleagues and kind of like we're relying on each other here. Yeah. So thank you, Dana, for moderating. I really My appreciate pleasure. it. And Kim, Abigail, thank you for being here. Uh, AWSP just really values this partnership. And so, um, yeah, if there's anybody that needs other resources or you're curious about things, get a hold of one of us, get a hold of your local ESDs, and let's just continue the conversation. And as Kim said, keep focusing on students and doing what's right by them. So thanks for, um, thanks for watching. Take care. Thanks for listening. To catch all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can watch AWSB TV and our other great video content. If you have ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, shoot me an email at david at awsp.org. We'll do our best to make it happen. On behalf for all of us at AWSP, we hope you tune in again. Keep up the great work for kids, and we'll see you next time.